1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, Israel is finally united under King David and once again face off against the Philistines. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 1
2: All right, second Samuel chapter 5 verse 1 Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and they spoke saying behold we are your bone and your flesh also in time past when Saul was king over us you were he that let out and brought in Israel and the Lord said to you you shall feed my people Israel and you shall be captain over Israel. And so all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. So David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So What's interesting is how the tribal leaders make their case for peaceful reunification here. They say to David when they come to him, behold, which means please listen to what we have to say. And then they give three reasons for why they want to reunite under his leadership. Number one, they said, listen, we are your bone and your flesh. We are all Israelis here. We are all God's people. This conflict is wrong. Good reason. That was a point that should have been seen as soon as Saul died, but I suppose it's better to eventually realize it than never. The second reason they give is, well, in time past, when Saul was king, you were he that led us out and brought Israel in. You were one of the highest-ranking generals in our army. We've followed you before, and, and you know what? The real enemy here are the Philistines, and you're the best person to lead us to defeat them. Another good reason. The third reason, they say, is, and the Lord said to you, you shall feed my people Israel. You shall be a captain over Israel. And this was the most important reason. God had picked David to shepherd them, to care for them. And so what they're saying in this is, we're prepared to submit to God's plan now. We're done doing things our own way. And so in this, all three of their reasons, they they contain a confession. We blew it big time. We want to make things right if you're willing. And David is willing David had lots of reasons to be bitter. It'd been very easy to David to go, you know what? Done, done with all of you, all of you forever. A pox on your house forever. And yet we see David try and try again to end this thing peacefully. And So when the opportunity comes, it says that King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. They hammered out the details of a peaceful reunification and it it worked. David, he does it, they do it before the Lord. In other words, David wanted this done God's way and he wanted everyone on board with God's way. We're going to do it right this time. And it works. And so they anointed David king over Israel, the whole nation. And so even though it says they anointed David king over Israel. What's really going on here is that they're saying, we want the Lord to be in charge again. We want the Lord to be in charge again. And you know, as much wrong as was done to David, David's okay with that because being king was never about him. It was about the Lord's glory and about the Lord's leading and about the Lord's blessing on his people. And if you're a leader in some way, if you're you're a parent, you're a husband, you know, you're have a ministry, you have employees. If you're in a leadership position, that needs to be your mindset too. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. It's about God's leading. And it's about God's blessing upon the people I serve. Well, verses four and five just give us a summary of David's reign over Israel. I think it's interesting that it says David was 30 years old when he began to reign. How old was when Samuel anointed him? He was just a teenager at the time. That means that David didn't see God's promise fulfilled fully because it says it was seven years later until he reigned over all of Israel. 37 years old. It's at least 20 years, probably 25 years that David didn't see God's promise fulfilled. That's how long it took. How long have you been praying for that thing that God promised you? (laughs) Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stray off the path. Keep your eyes on him and keep trusting him. Don't have any zigzags in your history. Now, verse 5 mentions here that David moved his capital from Hebron to Jerusalem at some point. And so, of course, the question is well, how did that happen? Because we know that Jerusalem is under the control of the Jebusites. Well, verse 6 is going to catapult us into the future a little bit and tell us that story. And verse 6, in fact, verses 6 through 16, they transport us about four or five years into the future after David defeats the Philistines, which happens at the end of this chapter. So we're we're not going in chronological order here. The author is compiling events by subject rather than chronology. We'll go back to the correct chronology in verse 17. But in verse 6, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, Which spoke unto David, saying, Except you take away the blind and the lame, you shall not come in hither, thinking, David can't come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, the same as the city of David. And David said on that day, Whosoever gets up the gutter and smites the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore, they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David, and David built round about from Milo and inward, and David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So we start here with David taking Jerusalem from these overconfident Jebusites. Now, Jerusalem is a city we have met before this, but from this chapter on, Jerusalem will become the most important city in the Bible. It will become the most important city in the Bible, which is why the author breaks chronology. Sometimes the Temple Mount is called Zion. Sometimes all the hills around Jerusalem are called Zion. But the southeastern hill that is known as the city of David is the original Mount Zion. And so how did David pull off taking a fortress that Israel hadn't been able to take for centuries? Well, verse 8. And David said on that day, Whosoever gets up to the gutter and smites the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. David, again, not exactly politically correct here. We'll start off here. It mentions whosoever gets up to the gutter. There was a water shaft that was heavily guarded. So he says, listen, this is our only way in. We can't, you know, can't scale the walls or anything like that. It's our only way in. So whoever gets up that gutter and takes the city... He'll be my new general. He'll be the chief and the captain. <laughs> Wherefore, and, you know, David basically, what he says is, you know, and, and he makes this little comment in here, whoever remember, smites the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul. David basically says, hey, they said, hey, you couldn't be, you know, we don't even need our best soldiers. We can have our disabled people defend the city and you couldn't take it. And David says, yeah, you're all disabled. That That's what he's saying. He says, they're all disabled. And he says, you guys, and then he goes, and you guys know how much I hate disabled people. And then all the Israelites are like, ha, 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 let's go get them. So he's not politically correct. These are soldiers talking here, and there's definitely some soldier speak. And so they go up and they take the city. Wherefore, they said, after they take the city, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David's palace in Jerusalem. We'll find out more about that in verse 11. But apparently, David never let the Jebusites forget this taunt that they made. So he reminded them of how they had teased him. Uh, if you have a King James Version here, you, and again, I'm not saying it's right to do this, it's just how they talked. So in 1 Chronicles eleven six, 6, it, it says a little bit more. It says, And David said, Whoever smites the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And so Joab the son of Zeriah went up first, and he was chief. Now, if Joab became the new chief... That means at some point in the four or five years before this happened, David fired him. Because Joab was David's general before he killed Abner. And so when David makes this claim, Joab says, get out of my way, I'm getting up there. And Joab is the one who led the charge through the water shaft and took the city. Verse 9, so David dwelt in the fort Jerusalem. And he called it the city of David. And David built roundabout from Milo and inward. Milo, these were the outer terraces of the city before. Uh, Judges 1 verse 8 tells us that Israel did conquer all of the surrounding Jebusite dwellings that weren't in the fort. They just couldn't take the fortress. So it had become basically a, a military installation only. Well, David... You know, these beautiful terraces, he rebuilt them on the outside of the fortress. And I mean, can you imagine the views, you know, from these terraces out and looking down in the valleys all around uh, Jerusalem? And he began to basically turn the hill into a real city again. And thus, it says, David went on and grew great and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So David, we see a time where David's finally at peace. He prospers greatly, his fame grows, you know, because the Lord is with him. In fact, his fame grew so much that the Phoenician king of Tyre sought a treaty with him. Verse 11, and Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons and they built David a palace. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Now Hiram, the king of Tyre, becomes important because his alliance to David eventually creates problems for Israel down the road when one of his descendants, a not important woman named Jezebel, marries King Ahab. So we're just getting to know some of these family trees right now and how they come into the story later on. But he had a friendship with David. He befriends him and he offers to build him a palace. You know, it's interesting, David knew that God made him a promise, but he never dreamed that God would be this good to him. And so as he's experiencing all this goodness, he begins to ponder why. Why? Why are you doing this for me, Lord? And it says David perceived, he realized two things. Number one, that it was the Lord who established him king over Israel. In other words, it was God who did this, not David. And then number two, that God had exalted his kingdom, not for David's sake, for his people, Israel's sake. God had blessed David so the entire nation would experience a blessing. And you know, every leader who is godly understands these two important truths. It's not about me. It's not me that built whatever it is that God's doing, you know, or the, whatever the, 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 the ministry is, or my family, how it's prospering, or my business is prospering. It's not me. It's not me, it's the Lord. The Bible says prosperity does not come from the east or the west, but where does it come from? The Lord. It comes from the Lord. The second thing that every godly leader understands is, it's not about me even in the blessings. Yes, God loves me and he wants to bless me. God loves you and he wants to bless you. But when God calls a leader and he blesses them, it's because he loves everybody else as well. The leader is not greater than those they lead. They're part of the group that God wants to bless. And this is the role they play in that blessing. Now, here's what's cool about that. Realizing those two truths, that it's God who does it, you know, it's God who prospers it, and it's the Lord doing it because he loves his people. Realizing that takes the pressure off. Basically means I'm not the one building something, you're not the one building something. And it keeps our pride in check because it reminds us that we're servants, not rulers, right? Right? We're servants. We exist to serve God's people, whether you're you're a mom or a dad, whether you're an employer, or whether you serve in the ministry. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? In John chapter thirteen, verses twelve through seventeen, after Jesus washed their feet, he goes, Do you realize what I've done to you? He goes, If I being your master have done this unto you, how much more should you do the same? Take on the form of a servant and do the dirty, stinky jobs. You know, Jesus said, you call me Lord, and rightfully so. And no servant is greater than his master. So if Jesus would stoop down, he humbled himself, you know, and stepped out of perfection into our world, you know, served us when he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, how much more should that be the way that we go about things? And you know what I love about David is, you know, he understood this truth because you see it consistently in the Psalms. We read in Psalm 28 about how David said, Lord, I'm in a big heap of trouble because there are evil people and they're doing evil things to me and I'm a mess. And he cries to the Lord, Lord, get them and save me. And then when he says, Lord, you did it. You did it. You rescued me and you saved me. But then in the last two verses, David says this. Psalm 28, he says, The Lord is their strength. He is a saving strength of his anointed one, the king. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. David's heart, when he got out of this trouble, was he's like, you know what, Lord? You didn't just do this for me. You did it for them. You're their strength. You're the one who does these things. And so, Lord, save your people. Bless your inheritance. Feed them also and bless them forever, right? That's the heart of of a leader. It's how Jesus was. It's how he taught us to be. And it's one of the things that David got right. Was David in trouble? Yes. But his place was to seek the good of God's people, not himself. And I ask you, is that how you lead your family, your marriage? Is that how you lead your ministry or your work environment? It needs to be if we name the name of Christ. Well, everything wasn't great for David, verse thirteen, Second Samuel chapter 5. He didn't do everything perfectly. And David, verse 13 says, took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. And these be the names of those that were born unto him in Jerusalem, Shemua and Shobab and Nathan and Solomon, Ibhar also, and Elishua, and Nepheg, and Japhia, and Elishma and Eliada, and Eliphelet. Um, sadly, this area of David's failings becomes worst. And while David sought to do many things God's way, he enlarges his harem. It doesn't tell us how many women, but just a lot of kids. Just sons. We know he had daughters probably too. And this will hurt David in the future. Now, when we get to verse 17, we return from the future to the Philistine problem after Israel reunifies. In fact, if you want to understand the connection, you need to read the end of verse 3 and the start of verse 17. The end of verse 3 says, And they anointed David king over Israel. Verse 17. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David and not to say hi and congratulations. And David heard about it and he went down to the fortress The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Um, They came down to seek David to put down this reunification attempt before it could rally itself. Now, it says that David went out to go meet them and he came into a fortress. We don't know where this fortress is. We just know the general location. We don't know which one it is, just the general location. Because it says the Philistines spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Now, the word there spread, it doesn't mean they spread out. The word there means they sent out raiding parties to plunder. Uh, the Valley of Rephaim is a, about a mile northwest of Bethlehem, David's hometown, on the border between Benjamin and Judah's lands. The Philistines were in control of Benjamin and every far, ev- all the way to the north, so they had left Judah alone after defeating Saul for whatever their reasons were. But now they begin sending out raiding parties because they're going to invade Judah. So. They mean to do to Judah what they've done to the rest of Israel up to this point, to drive them out of the land, to drive them across the river. And so David, verse 19, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And so David came to Baal-perazim. Uh, it's a hill on the north side of the valley where the Philistines camped. It's named Baal-perazim because it, it means uh, the Lord has created a, be- a breach, an opening. It's named this because of the massive opening that, that God gave David in the battle. For it says that David smote them there and said the lord has broken forth upon my enemies before me as the breach of waters therefore he called the name of the place baal perazim there they left the philistines left their images their idols and david and his men burned them this is in obedience to deuteronomy 7 verse 25 which says the graven images of their gods you shall burn with fire you shall not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto you, lest you be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. So again, David may have gotten the marriage thing horribly wrong, but he did get many other things right. These images, these idols that were left behind would be worth a fortune, but David doesn't care. And that's a good lesson for us, because better financial position is never worth a worse spiritual position. Never. And I've watched people at times make decisions where, I, you know, they come for counsel and they say, I don't think this is a good decision for your spiritual well-being. And they make it because it's a, you know, it's a better financial well-being. And that is never a good trade to make. Now, David may have won the battle, but he could not press his advantage. So the Philistines are still living in Israeli homes. So they come back and try again. Verse 22, and the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the Valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, the Lord said, you shall not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them opposite the mulberry trees. And let it be when you hear the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then you shall bestir yourself, for then shall the Lord go out before you to smite the host of the Philistines. So interestingly, David doesn't presume that God's will is the same this time, that God's plan is the same. And it isn't. God has a plan that will allow David to take Israeli land back this time. And so this time he says, fetch a compass, which means go around and flank their rear. And stand in the place that's opposite, I guess there was some field of mulberry trees. And he says, when you hear the sound of a going, which means of marching, probably the rustling of the trees from a, a strong breeze. He says, when you hear that, Bestir yourself. You gotta love the King James. Bestir yourself. You know, I, I tell that to my kids all the time. Get your chores done. Bestir yourself. You know. No, I don't. I don't do that. No one talks like that. I do say what it means, which means quicker. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It means move quickly. In other words, make a rapid strike. You know. These are very detailed instructions from the Lord, by the way, uh, and they require David to trust each step in the process. Going around behind the enemy would leave David a bad line of retreat if the battle went bad. Waiting for the trees to rustle? How do you know if it's been enough rustling? Like, did God give him a mirror? And he's like, all right, when it hits six, you can go, you know? Like, like I, I mean, I, would, I don't know about you. I'm the type of thing that double guesses, you know? Like, God says, hey, go do this. And I, and I outthink myself, right? I said, well, well Lord, that's, that's what you told me to do. But, but is that really you, you know? I mean, what are you looking at? You know you, you know, you got the soldiers there all sitting next to you, and you know, and they're like, Pretch oh, moves, not yet. You know, two move, not yet. I mean, you really got to say, we, we'll know when it's the Lord. So David has to trust the Lord for this. He had to trust that God would make it obvious. And you know what God did? So David did so as the Lord commanded him. What a beautiful phrase there. He just did what God told him to do. And as a result, it says, he smote the Philistines, not just in that valley, but from Geba, a city in the tribe of Benjamin, until you come to Gezer. Gezer was a Philistine city on the border of Ephraim, the far west of Israel. In other words, David won back all that land that the Philistines had taken. So trust in the Lord with all your heart not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths, right? Right. Well, David will later invade Philistia and he'll conquer it. But for now, Israel's whole again. And everything that Saul did, the Lord undid through David, the man who did not make it about himself and allowed God to do as he pleased so his people could be blessed. And that's what we need to do. Not make it about ourselves, but just let God be God. To trust him with all our heart. To let him do as he pleases so others can be blessed. Amen? Oh, Lord, it is very easy for me (laughs) to think, oh, but God, if I don't do something, it's it's, going to be a mess. Oh, Lord, you do all things well. You never fail. You never lie. You can be trusted and you have proven yourself trustworthy time and time again. So, Lord, we decide to not make it about us. Whether we lead something or we don't lead something, we don't want it to make it about us, about me. Lord, we just, just want to get out of the way and let you be you, follow you wherever you take us, knowing that as a result, you'll bless others. Lord, that our lives will be used to impact and bless others. We want that, and so we say, Lord, here I am. Take me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com